0: price picks will match your first deposit up to hundred dollars just visit prizepickscom slash play 100 and use code play 100 that's code play 100 at prizepickscom slash play 100 for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars price picks daily fantasy sports made easy
1: Hello, hello everyone and welcome to episode 4 of Footmarks. I am your host Pairam Kazi and with me, of course, is the Rockstar of Cricket Journalism, Jared Kimber and we're going to talk about the rise of Scotty Boland today and I'm very excited about this, Jared, because, okay, Scott Boland, 8 tests down now, 33 wickets at 14.5 apiece and... The big thing over here is really that he's not just, like, some newcomer. He's been around, right? Like, he debuted for Victoria in the 2011-2012 season. He's played, what, 96-odd first-class games, has 340-plus wickets. And this is someone who was brought in as an MCG specialist. And now he's on top of the world. So tell me, what were your first impressions of Scott Boland when you saw him for Victoria all those years back?
2: Yes, I'd moved to the UK by the time he played. But I remember him being talked up as he came through. He's got, I want to, uh, I can't remember if it's an older or younger brother, but I'm just trying to have a look on Crick info. I think there were two of them. Mm-hmm. And I remember their names coming up quite a bit, uh, you know, early on as as potential cricketers uh, coming through the system. And, and by the time he made it to Victoria, I watched him. He reminded me a lot of a guy called Darren Pattinson. Do you remember Darren Pattinson? Mm, I can't
1: recall. I know the other Pattinson,
2: James. Wow. <laughs> That's his brother. Okay. So Darren Pattinson is famous. I don't know if it, it's it, awesome that you don't know this story. Cause I can tell you this fresh. <laughs> There's so many England fans who know so much about Darren Pattinson. They're like, of course we know, but not everyone does. Darren Pattinson played one test for England ah. and James Pattinson plays for Australia. Right. And uh, Darren Pattinson, I'd seen a lot of Darren Pattinson bowl for Victoria. Again, a big, strong guy, a little bit like James, but he mm-hmm. didn't, you know, James looked like a beast of an athlete, right? Where oh, you're yeah. just like, he could have played in, you know, he, he could have been a tight end in, in, in you know, just, he, he looked like any sport he would have got, he would have played in would be Darren Pattinson looked a little bit more like what he was, which was, uh, he owned his own roofing company, um, <laughs> and played a little bit of cricket on the side, but Darren Pattinson, big, strong guy. Really accurate, really skillful. And every time I saw him bowl, he took wickets. Goes off to England. I think he took something like 40 wickets in the first half of a county season at one stage. Mm -hmm. Gets picked for England. Michael Vaughan didn't know who he was. Um, Mm -hmm. Plays one test. Actually bowled a lot better than everyone remembers, but probably shouldn't have been. He was exhausted. He'd he'd never been a professional cricketer before that year. Mm -hmm. And they picked him after about 10 first-class games. By the, the rest of the year, he was bowling at my pace right? Uh Um, Went back to Nottingham a couple of years after that, you know, for the next couple of years, had an okay career, but that was the very similar bowler to what I saw Boland as, you know, smart, strong, skillful, probably not fast enough. And if you think of James, right? James Mm -hmm. is like two yards quicker than both of them. Mm -hmm. And so Scotty sort of took over the Pattinson role in the Victorian team, which is hard to get away back of a length. I feel like He's a little bit quicker now than when he was younger. Not, mm-hmm. not so much that there's anything major, but I would have said he was more 84 to 85 when, when I used to watch him, um, who could crank it up a little bit more, whereas now he feels more 86, 87, you know, con- and very consistent with that pace. But just a very consistent bowler. And I remember, you know, having conversations with my friends and, you know, you know, there's a bunch of us who are, you know, big cricket Victoria fans and uh, Bush Rangers as they probably were when he was playing, f- uh, first started playing for them we were like, this is great. This guy's never going to get picked for Australia. He's going to take, you know, 30 to 50 wickets every year in the shield. Um, and, and Victoria had built their brand on those sorts of cricketers, you know, Chris Tremaine and, um, you know, those sorts of players where you just like, well, this guy's never going to get picked for higher off honors. Or if he does, he's going to get a couple of games and that's it. And that's why one of the reasons Victoria was so good is they had like a just sub-test um, bowling attack that none, where none of the guys ever got chosen. And mm. that's where we thought he would be. And then I remember – I'm trying to remember who he was playing for in the Big Bash in 2018, whether he was playing for the Stars or the Hurricanes at that stage. But I spent a lot of time watching him at that stage. And again, you watched him play, and he played a couple of ODIs for Australia um, as well um, early, uh, in a, maybe around that period. And you look at him going, look, he's a really good, solid first-class cricketer, and Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with anything he does, but he doesn't have any elite skill that makes it obvious that he should play at the next level. He was accurate, but he wasn't Muhammad Abbas accurate Mm -hmm. or Stuart Clark accurate, right? He was skillful, but he wasn't, you know, Jimmy Anderson or Muhammad Asif skillful, Mm -hmm. right? He was clever, but he wasn't like a Stuart Broad type of bowler. He was Mm -hmm. a very... You know, the sort of guy that you see, I'm, I'm trying to remember, um, Pankaj Singh. Do you remember Pankaj Singh, the guy who played a couple of tests for India? Yes, I do. Well, you, I do. Yeah. He played some in England, didn't he? Yeah, he played a couple of tests in England. That That's the kind of cricketer, if you would have asked me, I would have said he was like, at first class level, probably a little bit too good for all the other batters.
0: Mm-hmm. At
2: test level, there's no one thing that he does that is good enough for him to have a career, right? And I think that's exactly how I saw Scotty Boland at that point. He's also... He's not like an elite athlete. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, if you think of the bowlers of that Australia's had come through, so Jai Richardson, right? And mm-hmm. Kane Richardson. And uh, did I say Jai? Who did, did I say first? Jai Richardson, Kane Richardson. Okay, there's a lot of Richardson. Sean um, Abbott, maybe? Yeah, Sean Abbott's another good athlete. Mm-hmm. Mitchell Stark, Pat Cummins, right? Oh, uh, Ab Pattinson himself that we are talking about before. Incredible. A lot of incredible athletes have come through. Mm-hmm. You look at Boland... And he's not even an incredible athlete in the way that Ryan Harris was, right? Mm -hmm. Ryan Harris was like a physical beast who would run through the crease. Boland looks a little little bit big and stocky like uh, Harris, but not like uh, Harris was basically a a Mack truck, right? Running Mm -hmm. through the crease. And so there's nothing there that you look at. He's not that fast. He doesn't get that much bounce, all those things. And you put them together and you're like, this is a really good first class bowler. And I said for a long time, I thought he would destroy in County Cricket. Right? But I never once thought that he should get played I didn't even think he should have played days for Australia at the mm-hmm. time when he was picked originally. But something had clearly changed late in his career. And by that stage, it was hard to argue that he shouldn't have got a, a chance.
1: Uh-huh. Well, we'll get to that. But I mean, all that you've said, and I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of sense to it when you look at Scotty Boland. He's not that sexy kind of bowler, right? He doesn't have that appeal. But here's a guy who's averaging 14.57 uh, runs per wicket. In Test cricket, and that is phenomenally the third best ever bowling average in Test cricket for bowlers who have taken a minimum of 30 wickets. And if you look at that top eight, Scotty Boland is the only bowler who has played in the last 110 years. I think I'm correct on that. So that's phenomenal. No,
2: No, I think you're missing one. Mike Proctor. Ah. Mike Proctor played in the late 60s. Uh, but yeah, you're basically yeah. right. <laughs> Either way,
1: these were bowlers who have similar numbers and they were bowling on pitches, which are not nearly yeah. anything like what pitches are today. So what I want to ask you is that what is it that makes Scotty Boland you know, special and why does he have these numbers? Because we know that he's really, really proficient with the wobble ball. He can pitch it in the same exact area day in, day out, you know, 24-7, 365. Mm. And then due to his proficiency with the wobble ball, he can get one to nip back in. Some of them straighten. And then also he bowls at his decent click as well. So do you think it's a combination of all of these things that makes him special?
2: Yes. So I'm going to tell the story in a different way, which is, do you remember Andrew Tai? Of course I remember Andrew Tai.
0: Did he play PSL? Uh, He was playing. I can't for, yeah, he was
1: playing for the Karachi Kings most recently in the PSL yeah. and he got absolutely hammered.
2: <laughs> okay. Andrew Tai, when he was, what, 27, 28, was essentially a club bowler. Now, he was a club mm-hmm. bowler in Perth and, and, and club cricket's very strong in Perth. Tim David was playing club cricket in Perth two years before he was a superstar, right? So it's a high level of club cricket. Mm-hmm. But he was a club bowler. He developed a wobble ball and from that... Mm-hmm. Ends up having one an MVP caliber season in the IPL. Are we talking about the it. knuckleball? Oh, sorry, yeah, knuckleball. Yeah. I did mean the knuckleball, not the <laughs> ball. We've got to stop pulling ball at the end of everything. Um, he he um, works out the the knuckleball and goes from being a club cricketer to being an IPL star. Right, you have one season where he's phenomenal, plays for Australia as you said, still going around. Now it doesn't matter as much because everyone's kind of worked out the knuckleball a little bit better and it's, it's not quite the same level. And, and he didn't invent it or anything. It had been around before, but he'd certainly perfected it. I think that tells you what one ball can do to a bowler's career,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? I think it's really interesting that the two of them were both very talented but not international-level players and one thing changed. The other bowler I would throw in is Matthew Potts. Mm. Who is very similar to Boland in a lot of different ways, in that he's a little bit accurate but he 's not deadly accurate mm-hmm. he's a little bit fast, but he 's not fast he 's not that tall he 's not that skillful and Matthew Potts said you know when they asked him what the difference was from the previous years he said well i 've got a wobble ball now, mm. so we know that this happens now and and I think that that plays a part and but you might be thinking, well, wait a minute there's now a lot of people who bowl the wobble ball." Mm-hmm. So we, now we have to go back to all the stuff that you were talking about before.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Boland has a weird action in that he does fall away a little bit. So he gets close to the stumps, but the ball actually comes from wider. That mm-hmm. creates a, it's like a trick in a batter's mind, right? Especially if you haven't faced a lot of him because mm-hmm. he's, his hips almost touch the stumps and the ball yeah. is still coming from this angle coming back in at you. Once you've played him a lot, I don't think that's a bigger deal. No one's played him a lot in test cricket yet. So it is still quite uh, 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 something that's worth noting. The other thing is you talked about his accuracy. Look, he's not on that level of, of Muhammad Abbas or Stuart Clark, mm-hmm. right? But he's considerably faster than both of those two, mm-hmm. right? He, I would say he's close to 10 miles an hour quicker than Abbas. And he's probably, when Stuart Clark was a test bowler, he's probably five or six miles an hour, consistently mm-hmm. quicker than Stuart Clark. At that point, you've now got, someone who's fairly accurate, who's got a bit of a weird action. I think the other thing that is worth saying is that he can swing the ball in both directions. He's not just a wobble ball only bowler and we've seen occasionally he can mix it up. Anyone with those extra skills means that even on days when the wobble ball's not working, he's got other things to go to. Although I'm not sure he's had any of those in test cricket. But it does mean that there was a time in this test match where I noticed, I can't remember who the batter was, but there was something in the recent test match where you could actually see him go, actually, I'm going to bowl a couple of swingers here just as something different to give them a different look not everyone who has a wobble ball can go between a wobble ball and other balls and not everyone has the skill of scott Boland to do that uh and and i think all of those things play a very very big part Mm -hmm. in the fact that he's accurate enough and fast enough and skillful enough. And is obviously in complete control of the wobble ball. But the other thing that I would throw out is you watch him in this test match, Pat Cummins is clearly a better bowler than Scott Boland. Like Scott Boland's not making that argument. Scott Boland's parents are not making that argument, right? (laughs) However, look at the difference amounts of movement they get from similar pace. Scott Boland at 87 miles an hour and Pat Cummins at 89 miles an hour. One of them is getting the ball to move drastically, right? In both directions. Pat Cummins doesn't get it to move drastically. And most Mm -hmm. guys over 86, 87 miles an hour don't get it to move a huge amount. So I think that plays a very, very big part because if you take away the should gill ball for a moment, it's very rare that you go out to the ball that moves 1.3 degrees. Mm -hmm. Because the ball that moves 1.3 degrees, you aren't going to hit it. (laughs) It's moved too far for a human to hit it at that pace. right? So quite often, you'll just miss that ball what that 1.3 degree ball does is it makes every other ball you make more dangerous. Right. And I think it's that combination of knowing that Scotty Boland at any stage could basically bowl off spin at 87 uh, miles per hour with all the other skills that he has. The only one thing I haven't worked out yet, and I'm, I'm hoping, you know, to chat to some of the English players about this, you know, during the summer is I wonder if he seems to get a little bit of backspin on the ball, which is, what we call the heavy ball. it could just because he's strong. I think strong bowlers almost do this as well. But I'd be interested to know if there's anything else going on because Ollie Pope, I think, talked about the fact that when the ball came out of his hand, it was oddly still, was the (laughs) word he used, which is really weird for a wobble ball bowler. And I'm not quite sure what Ollie Pope meant about that, but I'd love to be able to drill in to... To exactly what they mean. But the point is, again, there's something that's slightly different about what's happening with his ball compared to everyone else.
1: Yeah, I mean, Olipo plays down the road from you, sorry. So maybe you can get yeah. that opportunity soon. I mean, it is an Ash this summer, so you might have to wait a bit or might even catch him uh, in the press box or something, in and around the press box. But anyway, it was interesting how you mentioned, of course, the delivery that bowled Shubman Gill in the first innings. I mean, he pitched it way outside off and it turned, you know, whatever, 1.3 degrees. You even had your friends at Crickviz, you know, look up and they said it was the 10th best bowl that an Australian has bowled uh, since Crickviz is alive. And that's I phenomenal. I think it was in England
2: and I forgot to add that uh-huh. bit as well. Sorry, I'm should oh. I just I'm correcting myself there, <laughs> but you're right. But I think it was in England. But even so, that's a remarkable thing Yeah, to but it,
1: what really fascinates me, and we've also talked about this on the Uncovered podcast, is that he bowled pretty much the same delivery or well pitched it in the same area in the second innings. This one straightened, got Gill out and what's most fascinating is that you mentioned his action he's coming and bowling it really close from the wicket you know his hips are really close to the wicket but then he bends down pretty much you know on his left side even his knee is bent and Mm. it's the ball is delivered from very very wide you know from the wicket and that's probably why it gets all of that prodigious movement which helps it nip, nip back in the way it did so my question is that you also mentioned that Scotty Boland is way more effective versus right-handers as opposed to left-handers. Is this particular dynamic with respect to his action and the way he delivers the ball, is that the reason
2: why he's more potent versus right-handers? I think so. Actually, let me go back because you talked about the Crickviz. That was quite Mm -hmm. funny. So Jonathan Agnew on BBC said that the ball hadn't come back in that much. Mm. And I was like, am I? And I remember like talking to people in the press box going, am I mad? Has that not come in a mile, (laughs) right? And people on Twitter said the same thing. How could you leave that ball? And I was like, again, am I mad? So I happened to go into the tea room and uh, Patrick and Ben were in there. Patrick um, Nguyen and and Ben Jones were in there. I followed them on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, They say I never do anything nice for them, so I'm going to do this one nice thing for them. And they won't watch this podcast, so they won't even know. But (laughs) um, I think, um, yeah, I think in that perspective, We were all raving about that ball. And at that stage, I I realized I was onto something um, quite special. The left-hand thing, though, is really, really interesting. You talk about him falling down. If you think about the way that everyone's killing left-handers at the moment, it's actually coming from as wide as possible and taking Mm -hmm. the ball away. He's actually bowling more like a left-arm bowler to, to left-handers because he's coming around the wicket and then his arm is actually quite close to the umpire and the stumps when it's releasing. Mm. And so even when he gets prodigious movement away, he's not creating that angle that's almost impossible to play. That um, mm. Kemar Roach angle is one of the best ones. you know Stuart Broad's quite good at that. They bowl from uh-huh. really, really wide and, and it angles in and then because they both move the ball away from the left-handers. I don't know how you fix that for Scotty Boland other than suggesting he comes as wide as possible on the crease. So I wonder if that is the thing with left-handers. The thing I noticed was, and I went through every ball he bowled at Melbourne when he took six for seven. Uh, I went through every ball he bowled in the World Test Championship to left-handers as well. There wasn't as many, because I think it was just Jadeja. Um, Unless he, I can't remember. Is that, is it the only left-hander in that team?
1: Um,
2: yeah. Is there one in the currently? Tail? Currently, yeah, yes. Yeah. That's
1: the only left-hander in that
2: team. So he didn't bowl much at Jadeja. But one thing I noticed was, For whatever reason, he was really struggling to hit a consistent length against the left-handers in a way that he clearly was against the Mm right-handers. Now, it's worth noting that I don't know what his current average is against left-handers, but it's probably like 26, Mm -hmm. right? We're nitpicking here because his bowling average against right-handers is 12. Yeah. But I do think there is, I I do think you'd be, I I think you're right in what you're saying. And then to add to that, that's why he hasn't had the same level of success against the left-handers. But... Mm -hmm. You know, it's not the biggest deal in the world. It's just a thing uh, that a thing that has happened to him a couple of times. But it is it is worth noting that at the moment it's a really interesting record because I can. It's very. I'd have to go through the numbers, mm-hmm. but I would have thought it's more likely to be a specialist against left-handers if you're taking the ball away from the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, bringing the ball back into right-handers. So it seems counterintuitive to me that he's so much better against right-handers than left-handers. But I, I just wonder if he's just not comfortable. The other thing is that. I'm not sure he would have played a lot of his career bowling over the wicket to left-handers, probably swinging the ball back in. Now he's bowling this wobble mm. ball. He doesn't really have that, you know, that as, that's not his main skill anymore. So he maybe is relearning how to bowl to left-handers and hasn't quite nailed it in the same way. But the, the interesting thing is the length. And I wonder if he's just not comfortable coming around the wicket. But because of the way he bowls, it mm. makes more sense for him to come around the wicket.
1: Yeah, well, either way, I mean, it was a peach of a delivery. Absolute Jaffa that got rid of Shubman Gill. And just quickly before I move on, I just want to know this uh, from your perspective. Was that ball that he bowled to Shubman Gill to knock him over his I'm him moment, Scotty Boland's I'm him moment? Or was it the six for seven at the MCG? I think MCG if you take on, six on for seven,
2: day? there's an element of luck in that, right? Like, I don't mean that. I'm not, this is not slamming Scotty Boland, right? Mm-hmm. But he could bowl that spell 25 times and not take six for seven. It's it's the Stuart Broad one. You go back when Stuart Broad was incredible at, at Trent Bridge and, like, I don't think there are any play and misses. Like, literally every time he got a play and miss, it was an edge and it was caught. Sometimes that happens. Uh, so I think the six for seven was huge and exciting. I, I think the Shouldman Gill, and not just the Shouldman Gill, also the way he outthought Coley later on in the game, the way that at times, like, Stark mm-hmm. didn't look anywhere near his level and Cummins at times looked like he was bowling for Boland, Yeah. Right. Which is remarkable. Uh, <laughs> I think it was the, the, that over more than, the Shulman Gill one. Uh, I don't know how you felt on Twitter at the time, but from my perspective of Twitter on the time and the crowd, mm-hmm. everyone thought that Gill had made the mistake. I think when Boland should have had three wickets in an over mm-hmm. um, on day five, I think by that stage, they realized that this guy was no joke. He was, legitimately the real the real deal and i do think at that stage that's probably his i him moment yeah. especially it's world test championship final and you're talking about a guy's 34 who only came into the team because they thought he was an mcg specialist and now he has the third best bowling average uh, minimum 30 wickets mm-hmm. in the history of the game
1: yeah, it's quite phenomenal and I definitely agree that is definitely his I'm him moment. I wish it was a tri- triple wicket maiden for Scotty Boland because KS Bharat was gone for all money, just bounced too high and evaded the slip cordon. But we talked about how he is, Scott Boland of course, is more potent versus right-handers as opposed to left-handers and how the dynamics of his bowling action might be responsible for that. Here's another fun fact. Out of his 33 wickets in 8 test matches, yeah. 22 have come in the second innings and only 11 have come in the first innings. His bowling average in the second innings is 8.18, whereas the first innings is like 27-something, which is also good. I mean, we're talking about his average versus left-handers, and his average in the first innings being 27 is some sort of crime, whereas those are pretty good numbers. But my point is that given that his 6-for-7 on debut also came in the second innings, is there any correlation over here, or is this just random?
2: I went and looked at that spell, as I said, when I was—I think when I was doing the most recent article on him, and I've watched it a few times because I think Cricket Australia have every ball up online. I think that's how I saw it. Mm-hmm. I think if it was all bolds and LBWs, there would be something to that stat because mm-hmm. I think at that stage you'd be saying there's something about the pitch wearing down and maybe inconsistent bounce or even less bounce that is helping him. But if you go back and you look at his wickets, I'm not sure specifically there's that much that there that suggests that the pitches getting older have helped him.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: The only thing I would say is that he is very good at hitting the stumps and keeping the stumps in play. And so generally bowlers who do that are better in the mm-hmm. second innings as a general rule anyway. But because so few of his wickets are bold and um, LBW in that period, I find it hard to think that that is – I see why you're interested in it, and I was interested in it too, but I haven't found the cricket logic yet um, Mm. to be able to pair it with anything from what I've seen of him bowling. The the only thing is, just because he can hit the stumps, and especially against right-handers, he has that angle in, it kind of makes sense if he gets more LBWs and bowls throughout the game when the ball keeps a little bit lower. But it's just because I haven't seen that
0: Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends nine nineteen. No refund. Subscription auto renews.
1: All right. Well, Scotty Boland, of course, still has 33 wickets, eight test matches, a World Test Championship final under his belt, and the third best bowling average for bowlers who have taken a minimum of 30 wickets. I'm going to keep repeating that because we need to build this man a statue. Whoever is responsible at the MCG, please, can you start work on that? Or before that, we might even have a statutory holiday. The Scott Boland day, you never know. But I want to rewind the clock a bit. Let's go back to 2011-2012. Victoria have this new seamer coming through the ranks, Scotty Boland. And if you look at his first four seasons, he was averaging over 30, or in and around 30, with the ball. And then he had a couple of good seasons. But really, fairly, you know, I mean, if I'm being honest, it was mediocre and just, you know, decent at best. And then there's the 2019-20 season, in which he has Peter Siddle, with him in the team, and Peter Siddle is playing his final season for Victoria. And he, as you of course have mentioned, was the wobble ball whisperer. <laughs> so, I mean, he had owned that skill. Peter Siddle was, you know, well aware of how to bowl the wobble ball. He had helped Australia's national team with it, he had helped Essex with it, and now he was in Victoria. So, we don't have any solid proof. But then yep. right after that season, you see Boland's numbers get better. And the best numbers he's ever had are ever since he started playing test cricket, which is, again, phenomenal. And words aren't enough to explain how amazing that is or remarkable mm. that is. So how much of a role do you think Peter Siddle played over here? Because, I mean, we of course cannot say that he taught Scotty Boland the wobble ball because Stuart Clark was doing it beforehand, so he might have picked up on it before. But there might be an element where he might have helped him own, own the ball, uh, the wobble ball delivery.
2: No, it's announced the wobble ball,
1: Mm.
2: right? So whether Stuart Clark had a natural wobble ball or whether he was doing it on purpose, I kind of figured it was on purpose because Stuart Clark could do everything. But whatever that may be, so we know that Siddle goes off to play county cricket and when Siddle went off to play county cricket at first, I wouldn't say his career was over, but he certainly from an international perspective, he looked washed. Um, he picks up the wobble w- ball. I think you said he taught the Essex team. I think he learned it at Essex actually. Oh, okay. But I'd he probably ended up teaching it back to people.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Dura, I don't think he ever played in the PSL, Siddle, did he? I don't think so, no. Faulkner did. Played PSL. Faulkner
1: played at the PSL, broke a chandelier. Yeah, that, that was news.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Siddle played in the PSL. I don't think he played in the IPL and I don't think he played in the CPL. But he played Blast and he played Big Bash. Mm-hmm. And Siddle was a, pretty ordinary t20 cricketer mm-hmm. and he basically taught himself this method of bowling around the wicket at the back sort of heel of batters which allowed him to control the run read a little bit so you know that siddle was a pretty clever bowler
0: mm-hmm.
2: he learns the wobble ball um i'm assuming uh you know from one of his teammates at essex or maybe from watching bowlers everyone at this stage you have to understand that english cricket is it's like <laughs> it's the first thing any scene bowler is talking about at that point i cannot over egg how much everyone in in counter cricket is talking about this ball at this point that the ecb were holding seminars (laughs) right to help grow how quickly it went so siddle gets this ball he starts taking wickets almost straight away certainly starts to affect it himself he then gets picked for the 2019 ashes off the back of that and like there's no way i thought he was ever going to play again at that point i was shocked Mm But we didn't know all of this. We start to find this out during 2019 that part of the reason he's there is to help them with the wobble ball. He then goes back. He plays one last season uh, in Victoria. That is the point, as you say. Boland doesn't have a good year that year. In fact, he has one of his worst years that year. Mm-hmm. And looking at it, there's two ways of thinking about it. One is that it's it's perhaps he wasn't bowling it that year and just struggled. The other way of looking at it is, was he trying to work it out? Because we have seen bowlers sometimes go to the wobble ball. And what happens is they can't hit the seam normally anymore and they struggle swinging the ball. And if those are your other skills, it actually, sometimes you have a, a regression before you come back, uh, you know, come back uh, and start taking wickets at a better rate. But, the fact that we know that Siddle was specifically teaching the Australian cricketers, the wobble ball and that Scott Boland is now the best bowler in Australia at the wobble ball. And he has a relationship with Siddle, um, that, you know, they would have been playing with each other all the way through Siddle's career. I'm trying to remember if he'd left at any stage, but I would have thought all the way through Siddle would have been around except when Siddle was playing in the national team. I think it would be impossible to think that he doesn't have that. I don't have a contact with Siddle. Mm -hmm. Um, it'd be, You know, the best way, Dan Bredig, I think, has a relationship with him. So, you know, Bretto, if you're listening, um, please ask Mm -hmm. him. But I'd be shocked if he didn't at least refine it or maybe even make it as professional as it did. But it's just when you see things like that, we usually see progressions where players get slightly, slightly better. When you have something that dramatic, it has something has to have changed. Right. So if you look at the Faf Du Plessis T20 career, you can see. He, he was, well, he's working it out, he's working it out, he's working it out, and he's really good, right? When it's like Anton Devsic who no one's ever heard of and then suddenly he's fashionable <laughs> everywhere in the CPL, you're like, okay, well, he's changed. Something has yeah. changed in his career, right? And I think you look at Scott Boland's record and it's like, as you said, four years, he's a bit average. Four years, he's good, but a first-class good. One year, he's a bit ordinary. And then two years, he's the best bowler in the world. It's hard to argue at that mm. point that something hasn't massively changed. Absolutely. And and you're probably
1: right. I mean, he probably learned it at Essex because I was watching uh blast game the other day and Sam Cook off Essex, of course, literally took a hat trick just bowling the wobble ball and it was a very, very high quality hat trick. You know, he got one guy bowled, completely like uprooted the stump. Then he caught one, caught behind, and then I believe the other, th- the third dismissal was an LBW. But either way, they're doing something right at Essex. And it's just been such a great progression in Scotty Boland's career. Of course, we've talked about, you know, back when he was playing for Victoria and wasn't even near Australia's national team. And then, funnily enough, he was brought on as Michael Neesa's replacement for that Melbourne test because Neesa did not have... A great average, I reckon, at the MCG. Yeah. And Boland was an MCG specialist. And they were treating this as a very horses for courses sort of thing. And it seemed like, okay, this is a one-trick pony. We're going to play him at the MCG because he can, you know, uh, bowl really well over here. He plays his cricket over here. But here we are, eight test matches later, you know. Bought him some test matches or himself some test matches when he got six for seven in that MCG test. And now he's won the World Test Championship final. So he's definitely bowled uh, or bought himself some more test matches. Mm. But, Jared, uh, Scotty Boland's 34. He can't yes. go on forever. But you would have to think that, okay, he's going to be a key figure in this in this Ashes summer. What I want to ask is, how long do you think Scotty Boland can go? Like, how many more test matches can he potentially play? Particularly because it's not easy getting in that first string bowling lineup in Australia, which I would like to think that he has cemented his place now. You, you would think that, right? Like,
2: he shouldn't be a fringe bowler anymore in this Ashes series. Oh, in the Ashes, I think he's first string. I'm not mm-hmm. sure he's first string when they get back home. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, he might be, if he has a big ashes, it'd be half of them leave him out, but I don't think he's a first string when he gets back home. So, let's just go back to the MCG specialist thing, right? He's not, he wasn't an MCG specialist. He was phenomenal at the MCG, but he was actually phenomenal at many different grounds. And I think that shows you how lazy narratives become. He basically Mm -hmm. got a test match on the back of laziness, and now you look at it, and Michael Nisa can bat, but Michael Nisa is not the ball that Scottie Poland is, Mm -hmm. and never has been. And yet, there's been some pushes for him, you know, and i just having a go at Barrett here, but <laughs> there's certainly been some pushes for him where there never was a bowling. Hmm. The age thing is really, really interesting from a perspective of he has played some club cricket, I think, um, overseas at times. I'm trying to remember, uh, but I don't think he's played as many as some other people, mm-hmm. right? And even when you play club cricket, you're talking about playing one or two games a week you're not, it's not like playing county cricket. He hasn't got as many miles on the clock as Mm -hmm. a 34-year-old professional test match bowler. He, I'm just, just to have a look, I've just got his numbers here. He's played 63 List A games, uh, 62 T20 games, um, and 96 first-class games. So clearly, uh, a first-class specialist. List A cricket, he averages 40. Mm -hmm. And he's had some great moments in List A cricket, but I would always say that he wasn't in Victoria's best, you know, three to five balls. That's why I was a bit shocked when he got the uh, Australian mm-hmm. call up to play ODIs. Um, in fact, you know, he's played a lot of ODIs now, and I don't necessarily <laughs> understand how that's happened. He hasn't done very well in the Um, And T Twenty cricket, I can't remember if he was at Melbourne Stars the year. I, I, let me let me live Google this because I do need <laughs> to know. But the the year that I was at Melbourne Stars. Um, I did watch a lot of him, and I remember having chats with um, with the, you know, the team and players mm. and, and everyone around, and he, he would come up a lot because everyone was a big fan, right? No one was saying that he wasn't a good bowler, but there was a part of which we couldn't specifically. Yeah, so he was with us. He wasn't a frontline player, though. So we had Liam Plunkett. We had Dwayne Bravo. We had Lama as a, a overseas. We had bowling talent there. Haris Roff. We Rolf. also had, yeah, no, Later he wasn't on. there that year. I think yeah. he was there the year after. Mm. So yeah, Haris Roff hadn't come yet. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that was after I left. Got it. But but you but you go through, and the bowler. There's a really. I'm trying to. I'm trying to go all the way through it now. But uh, oh, we had Evan Golbus, mm-hmm. who you probably never heard of in your life. I have. I have. Have heard of Evan mm-hmm. Goldberg? I'm so happy about We that get Big Bash League
1: here in Pakistan, right? So I've watched a lot of it because it's a very convenient time. <laughs>
2: but this, but even so, Evan Goldberg is that's that's a deep cut, man. That's a B-side. <laughs> um but but that particular year, they had um Dan Worrell, right? Mm-hmm. And Dan Worrell, basically has he's played blast cricket and he's played Big Bash. I don't think he's been in any other league, right? Mm-hmm. But we I was talking about him at that stage of. The Dan Worrell's probably never going to play for Australia. If you've never seen him bowl, go and look at some of his highlights online. Dan Worrell uh-huh. bowls 90 mile an hour outswing, right? He is his best ball is about as good as anyone's best ball in the world, right? Mm-hmm. It is unplayable. And uh-huh. in T20 cricket, he also used to have a pretty good back of the hand slower ball. I don't know if it's quite as good as it used to be, but he was really good at that as well. So we had we had Gulbus in the side, we had Liam Plunkett. You know, we had, no one thought Scotty Bolin wasn't any good. And I think Mm. after that, oh, they had Jackson Coleman as well, left the left armor that had all these other bowlers that were ahead of him in the list. Right. Mm -hmm. And we would all, I remember the conversations we'd be talking about it going, he's a good player. It's just that we have other players who are better. Mm -hmm. That was where he was in the pecking order. And he ended up at the hurricanes and you know, he's. He's played a little bit, but you know, if you look at his record in the, uh, in T20 cricket, it's got a bowling average of 25 good, but not great. And he goes at eight, eight point three runs and over again, fine, but not anything special, Mm -hmm. but he's only played 62 games. You can tell straight away, not, a first-choice player.
1: 62 out of which 14 were for Australia, weirdly enough. You know, you have to
2: take that into context. But also, well, I mean... No, no, that's T20. Uh, So T20 only played three for Australia. Got it, got it, got it. But but good enough. That's the interesting thing about Boland is we all talked about him as him being really good, right? But not quite at that next level. But even when he didn't have what he has now, Australia was willing to take chances on him. Mm -hmm. It didn't work, and he was particularly bad for Australia at times. Mm-hmm. But the point is that we were saying he's not in our best eleven or he shouldn't always be an automatic selection for the Melbourne Stars. But there was no one who I ever talked to with the Melbourne Stars who ever was like Scotty Bolland's not good. Mm-hmm. But that is where he was. He was in that sort of fringe area, which is wow. incredible to think he could go from that to what we see now.
1: Yeah, well, wobble me sideways because he yeah, is yeah. definitely the most talked about bowler now from Australia heading into the Ashes. And mm. it's just like the Dukes ball just suits him so much with that pronounced seam and these English conditions. It's really startling that he has never gotten a county gig. Like surely there's a county gig in the offing now after this Ashes. And just another question is that how should England look to play uh, Scotty Boland? They are, of course, a, f- a fair few of them are employing the baseball shuffle do you think that could be good enough to negate Scotty Boland, or would they have to try something else?
2: I don't think it will negate him, mm-hmm. but I do think it will slow him down.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Rohit Sharma did it against him, uh-huh. and you could almost see him thinking, "What? Why is this guy coming down the wicket to me?" Um, if he's getting as much sideways movement as he is, a you can stop some of that sideways movement by smothering mm-hmm. the ball a little bit more. Um, Cause he hits the stump cause he can hit the stumps quite a lot. You do want to, if you come down and you get outside the line of off stump, maybe you're giving yourself uh, an extra chance there. I think he's just, I think he's a little too strong and too fast for you to be able to do it consistently and not give him a chance. Right. He, he hits. I, I just think overall, I don't think it will destroy him. It's, it's a fascinating matchup of Mm -hmm. watching someone who's basically their main skill is hitting a length, Mm -hmm. right? More than a line, even with him, a length is his thing. And just saying, okay, the length no longer exists anymore. Now, what are you going to do? Yeah. I think with Scotty Boland, the one thing I would say is that he's at such a mastery of his skills at the moment. You talked about him being 34 years old. That's mm-hmm. a lot of experience. Yeah. He hasn't, pl- he's played club cricket in England. I'm pretty sure, although I can't find, find it in front of me, but he also played with an indigenous tourer, mm-hmm. um, o- o- over here uh, where he was unplayable. A certain ball, at the over one day, no one could hit him. Um, and I do think he getting to, I do think he's got a lot of experience from that point of view of, I think he will handle the baseball shuffle more than Mitchell Stark will. Mm-hmm. Right. So from that perspective, I'm really, really interested to see how it goes. But you're right. If I mean, if I was the analyst for the other team, I'd just say, let's just mess his his length up. We won't be able to do anything with his line, but if we can mess his length up, maybe that's enough to turn him from a 14... average to uh 24 average which is enough for us to at least then if we attack you know if Nathan Lyon doesn't take a lot of wickets if you know if Hazelwood gets injured again if Stark struggles if Cummins doesn't take as many wickets then we're still in the games whereas if he if he continues to take wickets at this at this rate they're just gonna lose the ashes right yeah like you only need one other ball all you need is Nathan Lyon being able to slow down the run rate on occasion and one other seamer to turn up and they're going to win the Ashes because they've got a better batting lineup all things considered than, than England. They're just a they're better team all round. If Boland plays like Boland, it's, it should be game over. But I do think a lot of things are going to be thrown at him. And the other thing is, I just don't think England will try one method as well. Mm-hmm. We've come up with the most obvious one. Wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if they tried some other things as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a contest that we're all really, really waiting for. And I personally would love to see Scott Boland shine and wobble England away with that Duke's ball. Because there's something about that under 20 test average. And I just hope that he finishes his career, you know, at 19 or 18. I know it's going to obviously inflate a bit. He's not going to stay till or on 14 and a half forever. I mean, you never know. It's Scottie Boland. But it's just that cult hero status that he now has. It's a thing. And it's great for pop culture. It's great for cricket. I love it. But uh, anyway, just on a closing note. Yeah. Oh, so just something. before
2: you get there. Yeah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Just on what you were just talking about. The one thing I want to add here is he bowled really well in India.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He didn't actually get a lot of wickets, but if you go back and watch a ball by ball, he actually bowled really well in India, which is two, two interesting things about that. A, it didn't ruin his average the way that it could have. Uh-huh. Right. The other thing is when we talk about England and everything, like what, how got and adaptive he is. For someone who's mm-hmm. basically a line yeah. and length merchant, he still has those other skills. But sorry, you're going to close. And of course, I went on another tangent. Yeah, I mean, just to uh, add a few things to
1: that tangent, I think that he is intelligent enough to adjust his lens. Of course, it will take probably some time to do that. But I-, I trust him to do that. And also, it's just that he has a knack of taking wickets in clusters, right? We've seen that in the past. He did it again this game, nearly took three and over. And he did, even though KS ba- Bharat edged it over slips, he did take two and over. And those two wickets were Virat Kohli and Ravindra Jadeja. That is like a one-two knockout punch. And India were done after that. So I think that's the X factor that Scotty Boland really provides. But... Anyway, on a closing note, you've touched on this before as well. Scotty Boland is of uh, Indigenous descent, that is his ethnicity. And we all know that Australia has a bit of a, you know, horror story back in the day, you know, with respect to their treatment of the Indigenous people. And here we are, you know, after Jason Gillespie, I'd say, the first high-profile cricketer who's going on to play test cricket for australia i know there have been a, a few more there's darcy short and uh dan
2: christian yeah. dan
1: christian and then uh, there was uh a female i mean cricketer. the most
2: high profile is probably ashley gardner right yeah um, actually, yeah it's almost almost her but yeah he's he, certainly since ashley gardner he's probably been the most yeah. spotlight spotlighted cricketer i mean dan and- christian's being a fringe player, and Darcy Short was around for a very yeah. brief time.
1: And even though Jason Gillespie is a superstar when it comes to Australian legends and everything, he's won a lot and he's even scored a Test Match mm-hmm. double hundred, I don't think they actually focused too much on the bit where he was uh, half indigenous, right? It wasn't given as much spotlight, whereas Boland does get that spotlight. And I think that's massive, especially for young uh, kids of indigenous descent. When they see Scott Boland performing for Australia, H- how big is that in the grand scheme of things?
2: Yeah, so the Gillespie one is interesting because it wasn't mentioned when he started. Hmm. And that's a big, big difference, right? Like, it hit, it hit, hit, I think Dizzy was so matter-of-fact with it. It was like, it wasn't brought up. And it's only later it starts to become a, a bigger deal. Um, there was also, I forget her surname, but Faith, Faith someone yeah. who played. Faith Hill? Faith, No, Faith Hill's a singer, isn't ah. she? <laughs> Is it Faith Evans? But Faith Evans (laughs) sounds like a singer as well. I forgot the name of the woman, but she she played for Australia in women's cricket way back. She was a fast bowler, a seam bowler, um, I think. I think she was a seamer. Um, And even that had gone under the radar. Mm -hmm. And there would be other Indigenous players Mm -hmm. that would have played. The the bowling thing, we'll get to that in a moment because it is quite interesting. But with Gillespie, it was so matter of fact that it wasn't brought up. Uh, and then by the time it was brought up, he was already Jason Gillespie. So mm-hmm. it wasn't as much part of his identity as a cricketer, just because at that point he was already Jason Gillespie and now you were finding out a new fact about him, right? Mm-hmm. Which is slightly different than coming into the team being an Indigenous player, which would have been huge even back mm-hmm. then. Um, Scott Boland is more interesting, of course, because he didn't know he was Indigenous, which mm-hmm. gets back to the atrocities that you were talking about yeah. and breeding people out. and like, uh, settler colonialism. Basically. Yeah. I've never been tested, but my mum is sure that we, uh, the, that our family had some indigenous blood, um, in it mm-hmm. a, a, as well. And it's a common thing in Australia to hear that rumor, but you're never actually quite sure if you are, because for generations, you tried to hide it. Uh-huh. Right. Actively tried to hide it because you were seen as a lesser person, mm-hmm. you know, even if it was the smallest amount of percentage. And so Scott Boland's family either did the same thing or someone forgot, or it was a random relationship or whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't even know. And but what it means is that, you know, with him and Darcy Short and Ashley Gardner, and I'm trying, I, Dan Christian, obviously, he mm-hmm. still, you know, played for Australia of fairly recent times. Yeah. You know, there was a game where I think it was Brendan Doggett was bowling. Dan Christian was. Oh, have I got this right? Maybe Dan Christian was bowling to Brendan Doggett and Darcy Short took the catch. Ah. And I put up this really innocuous tweet saying, that might be the first time in Australian cricket that three Indigenous players have been involved in one dismissal. Mm. I think it was Brendan Doggett, who is the, the Queenslander. I, I think I've got him right in that story. I don't think it was Scotty. I don't think Scotty was playing in that one. Mm. But either way, we had a situation right where three Indigenous players were involved, and you know, if you grow up watching Aussie Rules football, especially uh, someone of my age, Indigenous players were everywhere. Mm -hmm. So less than 2% of the Australian population is Indigenous, but over 10% of the um, Aussie rules footballers Mm -hmm. at professional level were Indigenous. And it's gone up, I think, from that number, right? Right. Whereas in cricket, we haven't even got near 2%, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: right? And there are structural reasons why that happened to do with racism, to do with ensuring that Indigenous people didn't play. But then you have the Scotty Boland situation of finding out about it late in his life that he has it. But he fully embraced it mm-hmm. so a lot of people find out that they've got an indigenous uh, heritage and they tell people at parties whatever scotty poland didn't do that he found out as much as he could about um you know his indigenous path he really embraced it he spent a lot of time with dan christian who obviously was brought up as an indigenous child you know very very different from that perspective um they spent a lot of time uh you know uh you know dealing with it and i know he's dealt with other people as well mm-hmm. other indigenous elders who've tried to uh, dan christian won't be happy if i i'm not sure dan christian's ready to be called an indigenous elder he might be upset at that but you know i know scotty's involved himself with other things learning as much about the culture as possible as you said you know the ability for you know when he when he took all those wickets you know for the welcome to country to to be played when i grew up people well people still be indigenous words unless the the area name happened to be indigenous right you know, Scotty Boland has had that. You know, We have Ashley Gardner talking about not wanting to play in Australia mm. Day. It's a huge thing for Indigenous people to be able to look up and see that. And it's not just about Indigenous things because I think the one thing that Australian cricket has been good at is actually that the players have come from very, very ethnically diverse backgrounds. It's still a, quite a white team, but you have, you know, uh, you know, kids of Polish parents, kids of Croatian parents, um, Italian parents, um, you know, all these, you know, obviously we've had a, you know, a few, you know, Dev Watmore and, uh, and Osman Quadra and a few Asi- Asian, um, ethnic plays and some players born there, Moses Enrique is born in Portugal, right? All these sorts of things. The the one and we even had in seven in the eighteen ninety-ish, Australia had a black player playing for them, not an indigenous player, a West Indian player. Ethnically and from a multicultural point of view, Australian cricket is actually very, very diverse when you look at the surnames of Stark, Katich, Krasia, right? Um, you know, lots of these, you know, very, very specifically is the one thing that it should have had, which is Indigenous people playing the game. And Scotty Boland not just being Indigenous, but embracing the fact that he's Indigenous, and then as the third best test bowling average of all time, minimum of 30 wickets, it's like it's in the conversation, right? I I saw there was a copy written by um, one of the agencies the other day, and, you know, they were putting in stuff about Scotty Boland <laughs> and they said, you know, what else do I need to know? And I said, well, you should throw in that he's Indigenous. Absolutely. And they were like, yeah, that's a great fact to put in there. And you, that's a narrative fact, right? And as you said, if you are a young person growing up and you turn on the TV, we've had Indigenous NBA stars, right? We've had Indigenous boxing stars, Aussie rules football, rugby league, sprinting, hockey, all these different things. We haven't had it as much in what is the truest national sport in australia so i think scotty boland does play a huge part in that Mm -hmm. and i think specifically cricket was the sport that screwed over indigenous people the most openly right and it's huge now to be able to go well ash Gardner is one of the funnest women cricketers one of the best and one of the funnest cricketers in the world scotty boland's one of the best narratives um, in the world and they are embraced as cricketers and it's professionals and it's indigenous people. Mm-hmm. It's, for me, it's just a huge step forward. And, you know, I'm so happy that it has happened in this particular way. And also let's forget about the indigenous na- nature of Scotty Boland. He's a win for professionalism. Yeah. right. Such a humble, low-key guy. I was watching his
1: interview post-game and it didn't Incredible, even look it? like he'd won the World Test Championship. Yeah. You know? He was just so calm and cool about it.
2: Every interview, there was, sometimes I'll be like, has he noticed what he's just done? <laughs> He's a guy who is so self-effacing and so about the team and everything else, but also it could easily be the opposite. It took him 10 years to get this Mm -hmm. big chance, right? He finally gets it and he's starring. He could make it all about him. There's so many things to like about Scotty Boland and his story and everything uh, um, about him and what he says about modern cricket, what he says about modern Australia. Um, But on a very, very basic level, he just seems like a good person. Yeah. Look, I don't want to, I don't want to throw a bunch of people under the bus, but not all of Australian cricketers have always had that reputation. Uh You'd be shocked to know they're not, (laughs) they're not all the most popular. I remember the Ryan Harris story, Ryan Harris signed for a county and the county players were like, well, and he ended up getting a contract with Queensland and leaving. they were like, we're really upset. He might've been the first Australian that we liked. Right. (laughs) People, there's, there's lots of stories about Australian cricketers not being particularly, you know, uh, welcoming in, in those other levels. Never heard anything like that about Scotty Boland. He just does his job. And it happened to be that somehow late in his career, he got really good at it.
1: Mm -hmm. And well, I mean, Pat Cummins has also been open about the fact that Scotty Boland is now his favourite cricketer. So I'm sure he's like a fan, not just is he a fan favourite, he's a favourite amongst his teammates as well. And just to go back on the previous point, I think like, inclusivity and diversity and tolerance and these sort of values are just so important, not only in society, but also in a cricket team. And we give England a lot of credit, you know, mm-hmm. Owen Morgan, he won that World Cup in 2019 with people who were from all over, you know, the cricketing world, really. You look at all of those South African players, him, himself, Owen Morgan was Irish, you had Adil Rashid and Moin Ali as well. Well, I don't think that this Australian team is too dissimilar. You've got your Indigenous uh, representation with Scotty Boland. Mm-hmm. You've got your Asian or subcontinental representation with Usman Khwaja. And I mean, if I get a kick out of Khwaja playing for Australia, I'm sure that Indigenous kids in Australia get a kick out of watching yeah. Scott Boland. And also you've got uh, Manas Labushain, or, or should I say Labus Khani, yeah. from South Africa. So you've got a fair bit of those uh, diverse characters in there. And I think that really is the hallmark of Pat Cummins' team. I, I would definitely say so.
2: Yeah, and I think if you, if you look that, like I said, you know Andrew Simons and Len Pascoe, um, who mm-hmm. uh, changed his name and was not Len Pascoe originally. Obviously, um, it's it's been there. Dav Watmore is mm-hmm. probably the first Asian-born player to play for Australia. I think that's right. I think he was born in uh-huh. Colombo, and I can't think of any Asian players before him, um, unless someone was born in there but not was not ethnically Asian, mm-hmm. which is obviously very possible as well. But Australians always had a few of those players dabbed in. But as you said, this feels like we're getting more towards what modern australia looks like uh-huh. modern australia is not particularly you know white and english and irish and scottish sort of centric the way that it was you know for the you know hundreds of years beforehand and every win on that uh, h- helps because you know there's just huge vietnamese and sudanese and turkish and lebanese ki- kids who i grew up playing cricket with all these kids um, and quite often they don't seem to filter into the next levels of cricket.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: I wonder if that was just because the next levels of cricket were often drinking culture and, mm-hmm. you know, men scratching their balls a lot, right? And that's not <laughs> what Australian cricket is anymore, right? It yeah. isn't that kind of thing and it is more inclusive. That's actually, it's great for society, but let's it's, it's great for the Australian cricket team because
0: mm-hmm.
2: there's a huge influx of people who are coming into Australia that don't have cricket as a cultural uh um baggage right yeah they're not coming from, you know the the, the you know the agar family and the watmore family you know uh, they're sri the glue, maybe even right yeah well, no, but but agar and 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 watmore those are sri lankan mm-hmm. families who bring yeah. sri lanka with them uh, Grindasandu, sandu you know um Khawaja, those sorts of guys they come from cricket backgrounds right but the more people who come in from outside of that who have no background, like Jason Crazier is a perfect example I said before. But Mm -hmm. when it starts happening over and over again, Australia's got 25, 26 million people. At a certain point, if you want to compete with India and Pakistan and Bangladesh and England, right, and South Africa, you're going to have to use all of your population Absolutely. Not just the ones that like cricket. And Scotty Boland is another small step in, in that. And from a cricket point of view, it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I've mentioned this in the Uncovered pod before as well. It's just the whole buy-in with this with respect to this Australian team. You know, I saw Patty Cummins in an earlier series when Usman Khwaja was, you know, there for the trophy lift in the pictures and then... He left Mm -hmm. and then they popped the champagne. And this time there was no champagne popping. And I I mean, I want all of these cricketers to go get drunk. They deserve it. But it's just those optics and you're you're showing the world that you're accommodating your teammate. And that is what really unifies you as a unit. And and Khwaja has been quite vocal about this, right? He doesn't really mince his words. So when he is all praised for Patty Cummins in the current Australian setup, you know that they're doing something right. But just on one final note, Jared, Mm -hmm. I know the Australian inside of you is extremely happy with this World Test Championship final win. But what about the Victorian inside of you? You. Scotty Borlandus is, of course, from your home state, and well, he's the talk of the town right now. So you must be really the kid inside of you from Victoria must be jumping.
2: I want to talk about this from a cricket writer's perspective. Uh-huh. So there was a period from 2007 when I started cricket with balls, and for those who mm-hmm. don't know, I also had a, a blog called um, the Lone Bush Rangers fan, which was all about Victorian cricket, which is only read by me, seven fans, and the entire Victorian team. I found out later, mm. um, <laughs> and. There was a long, and so I watched a lot of Shield cricket. I would go down and watch it. Uh, I would watch all the highlights packages, obviously, you know, troll through stats and everything. There was a period up until about 2011, 2012, where Australia had never picked a player that I hadn't already written about. Mm -hmm. There was no surprise. There was no way you were going to be able to surprise me with a, you know, with like if I had been writing in that era, I would have written about Todd Murphy (laughs) beforehand. And I was really proud of that. And people would comment on the site about that, that they realized that I was following it so closely that, you know, I would really go into depth about that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so this was certainly an issue for me um, going in uh, that I can't do that anymore, right? I can't Mm -hmm. watch as much cricket. But I kind of feel like Scott Boland is one of the few guys that I had the ability to to watch that of. And Mm -hmm. so from a cricket writer perspective, it's really cool that, Someone I watched when he first started and had, you know, notes about from like 12 years ago mm-hmm. is, is, has gone on to be very good. The World Test Championship win hasn't, I don't think it did that much emotionally. I didn't at the end mm-hmm. punch the air. I occasionally when Australia's won things, I felt that way. I didn't feel it in this particular tournament. Mm-hmm. The Victorian side is huge. Um, my dad's going to be upset when I say this, but my old man was like, if Scotty Boland was playing in India in all four tests, we would have won that series. Not quite <laughs> to that level, but that's kind of how Victorians talk about it. I get a lot more personal satisfaction out of Victorian cricketers doing well. I don't push them. I mean, I wasn't on the Boland bandwagon before and I thought, I thought he was a fantastic bowler and had got a lot better, but I wasn't sitting there going, I wasn't pushing for him any more than I was Chad Sayers or Michael Leeser. Mm at different times when I thought all three of them should have got to go.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Um, but the, the when he does well, and, you know, and I felt the same when Hanscom played a brilliant innings in Ranchi, where he basically mm-hmm. saved a test yeah, match for bad. Australia in Ranchi. I don't know. Peter Hanscom? Uh, Peter Hanscom is that he uh, used to use my cousin's gym um, when she ran, ran a gym. Like, and he might have followed me on Twitter <laughs> at one stage or might still follow me on Twitter or Instagram or wherever it may be. Uh-huh. But I don't know him or anything. But there is that great one of my, you know, one of our boys has done really, really well. And I felt that way with Boland from the start. And it's because mm-hmm. I watched him on dodgy streams in county games, uh, county games, in, in Shield games, right? Mm-hmm. It's because I would go and look at old bush rangers clips, yeah. um, you know, of, you know, the Ryobi Cup or the barbecue Matador Cup or whatever stupid name they gave it at that time, you know. So there's a different level of investment I have in him, in that, you know, if I, Tasmanian cricketer had done the exact same thing. If I'm going to look at the Tasmanian cricketer, it's purely from an analytical point of view. How good is this guy? Where will he fit in? What's his skills? With Scotty Boland, I'm like, oh, did you see that thing that Scotty Boland did? And so I do think that is is part of it. And it's, <laughs> you know, it's probably the last part of my cricket fandom that hasn't completely died. Uh, I don't advocate for Victorian players very much, uh, I, which at the start of my career I did partly in jest, you know, I ran a David Hussey for pr- prime minister campaign at one stage before mm-hmm. I knew his politics, I should add that. But, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think from, <laughs> I think from that perspective, I think there's still something there, but I just think with Scotty Boland, we have friends in common and he plays in Victorian cricket. He's bold against mm-hmm. people that I grew up with. Um, and he was the fact that he's managed to be this good and have, you know, <laughs> so few people ever get the chance at late in their careers in anything to not only do the thing they always dreamed of, but do it better than they ever dreamed they could do it. It's such a romantic story. I would be just as excited for him if he was from, you know, anywhere other than New South Wales. But the fact that it's Victoria, I do think that, you know, I do have a bigger connection with that just because mm-hmm. he was right at the end of my career when I was when I was following them. And so kind of anyone from that era, I mean, you know, I've had Adam Crossweight on my podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, Cross is like this massively important figure. And to most people, he's like, he played a handful of games. But those were the guys that I grew up, that my, my cricket writing grew up writing about, mm-hmm. right? And Boland is just on that, uh on that periphery as well it's to the point that when did i tell you i first knew about him he was when looking he at 11? club no no that's when he first oh, played that. but i said yeah, yeah. how did i first hear about him i was looking at club cricket scores in melbourne right you have a different connection with someone if that's where you first find out about it and yeah. sometimes i have that with other players like kyle jameson mm-hmm. i you know i knew about him well before everyone else and so i had this weirdly enough I don't know why those two because that, that sounds like I'm only picking guys who are going to go on to bowl uh, average, uh, average 15 in test cricket.
1: And win World Test Championship finals. Yeah,
2: that's very <laughs> random. I just realized that those <laughs> are two. But you know what I mean? It's a similar thing when you – if you've gone out of your – Andre Russell, mm. one of the reasons I got obsessed with Andre Russell was he played in a stri- uh, West Indies A game mm. and he scored 80 off 70 balls or something and took like a six-wicket haul. I was on him then. No one knew who Andre Russell was. He hadn't played anywhere, I didn't think, at that point. Those players you have this extra connection with anyway. You add Victorian on top of that. And, you mm. know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, Scotty Boland can do no wrong. Build the statue.
1: Yeah, well, Scotty Boland for Prime Minister. And yes, please, whoever's in charge of the MCG... Can you please build that statue already? And of course, uh, we shall end this podcast right now because I think we've gone quite over our time limit. But anyway, it's been an absolute pleasure. And of course, I wish that Scotty Boland does extremely well for South Australia and the Ashes and also perhaps lands a contract with Surrey so that you can get to watch him more often and the inner Victorian and in you can celebrate more often. But anyway, thanks for your input, Jared. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you to all listeners for tuning in. We'll be back next week with episode five of Footmarks. That's all for now. Goodbye.
2: Perfect. nailed it i
0: Network.